0: Sleep, the of truth, and close up the welcome to the Philip K Dick book club In each episode of this podcast, I look at one of the works of Philip K. Dick in roughly the order that they were published in. In today's episode, I'll be looking at a short story called Surface Raid. Now, if you listened to my previous episode on Simon Heal My Daughter, you might Think wow wow we got another story About the post-human here yeah and I thought You were kind of closing the book or putting Some conclusions to Dick's post-human Arguments and yes I was doing that I I do Think Simon Heal My Child is A capstone work Of what he has to say about the post-human but You know the very next episode Published around the same time we have This story Surface Raid which kind of is a throwback to some Of his earlier ideas on on Post-humanism you know, they're looking at it more as a conflict or, or a tension and, and less optimistic. Well, that's all true, but you got to bear in mind that although A Surface Raid was published in July of 1955, it was submitted to his agent in December of 1952, while Simon Heal My Child, published in November 1955, was submitted to his editor in june of 1954. so is a it's two years separated uh, the writing of these two stories so surface raid is maybe is a better representation of his older views on post-humanism um, it's we see a lot of themes we've seen before a, a war a a division between the people of the surface and the people of the land, which you see in the Defenders, and of course in the penultimate truth, and also the whole story is in some ways a throwback or a retelling of of the time machine narrative. So there's not going to be too much in the story that's going to surprise listeners of this podcast or people who have have read a lot of science fiction. It's it's still a decent tale, even if it's not as as original in ideas as some of his others. Uh, there's a little bit of self-plagiarism here, and there's a little, there's quite a lot actually of, of plagiarism from Wells, um, the story in the Time Machine, particularly the idea of humanity branching up into two separate sects. So it's not so much that you got the post-human and the human kind of living on, as you have in a lot of his stories. But it's what Wells had was two divergent evolutions, right, going different different directions, and that you sort of get here. So, the story, Surface Raid, uh, was published in Fantastic Universe in, in July of 1955. It can be found in We Can Remember It For You Wholesale, The Collective Stories of Philip Dick, the, vo- the second volume of The Collective Stories of Philip K. Dick. Um, so, it starts out, the, the, the story begins with a conversation about the Surface Raid, the, the titular Surface Raid, right from the beginning. We have a character named Hal visiting his father, Edward. They're the Boytons family. Hal tells his father that he's come into some information during his educational activities, f- revealing that his father will be going to the surface on a raid for some quote-unquote Saps, S-A-P-S, Saps. Edward explains that it will only be a small raid taking place sometime in the next week. That's not a big deal, right? It's nothing you need to worry about too much. They need some Saps, mostly male, to work in the factories. Hal tells his father that he wants to go on the raid as well and he's going to be going on the raid. Edward tries to talk him out of it but eventually gives in and agrees to allow his son to go on the trip with them. He instructs Hal to prepare for the trip to the surface. Now the radiation from the war has declined but they still need to prepare equipment and proper protection for dwelling on the surface. So we know there's a war on the surface that forced humanity into the tunnels below below ground. Hal goes to see his youth league leader, Fasshold, to tell him the news. Fasthold warns Hal the news that he's going to go on the raid. Fass warns Harl that he that the Saps are a different species than the than them, but closely related. And he says they used to be called Technos before the war, but in fact that they were mutants that were developed in into the technocratic class. And were able to reveal themselves as superiors during the final war. So we get the background of who these Saps were—that they were the technocratic class, and they were already technologically emerging as a, a different race, almost. And you know, there's this idea that technology can kind of create you and give you a new culture, a different culture, uh, or to develop in distinctive ways. Are, are themes that Dick played with in stories such as Souvenir. Um, and uh, the turning wheel. That's another one that does that. So anyways, this history is given to you through this conversation between Harl and Fasthold. And basically the idea is that they revealed themselves as superior through their technology. And they... So the saps are... No, the techs are the ones who then move, move underground during the war. And that that's, so the, everyone of the surface are the descendants of the technos but the people who remained on on the surface weren't as technologically sophisticated were deemed inferior at some point during the war and you know they're kind of living out there now harl gets the news that the team's ready to go to the surface he has to suit up so he goes to do that um, edward tells his son that the saps have been slowly reclaiming the surface using stone age tools right the war left the surface of the earth devastated and it's coated with this blackened rock so it's not even clear how anything really can grow on much of the earth's surface it's just this kind of black obsidian style volcanic rock edward instructs his son harl that they will wait until night to begin the raid on the sap villages the sun makes work difficult for hal you can understand that the sun was difficult for all these people who live underground um they they don't get much sun. So when he goes out, he, he sees a sap village and he wants to capture a handful for use in the youth league. So this is basically a slaving expedition. right? They're going here to gra- grab these people and Edward needs people for work or whatever. So he's going to grab a few for the youth league. Now, the saps are described at this point. We get to see them. They have this shiny copper black skin, kind of like the whole surface of Earth is this shiny kind of volcanic rock. And the saps have that same kind of black skin. Their village has technology, but it's basically a Neolithic level, basically New Stone Age. They have basic agriculture. They have some animal husbandry. Harl observes the village for a while, and he watches with fascination the work they perform. Their various activities, and what he finds, he realizes something at this point: that the Saps are not a dying race. That's how he's taught, and that's how the technos looked at them: that they're they're like the backward, and they don't have a history, and they're a declining, dying race. Harl doesn't see that; he sees actually a, a more progressive civilization in the village, especially by watching their work. Their cooperation, their various activities, they, they underwent. Now, of course, anyone who studied our own history knows that the Neolithic, although very long, was not stagnant, right? It was the foundation of, of civilization. So if you kind of have this idea of kind of broad sweeps and cycles of history, you're going to agree with Harl that, yeah, just because they're backward from the perspective of the technology of the people below the surface, they're not themselves stagnant necessarily he becomes infatuated with one woman who along with a man works on painting a clay bowl he harl tries to speak with her and he approaches her and she screams and flees having heard the screams and noticing the saps were stirred edward contacts harl and commands him back to the base to to give up his effort now back that that's kind of the story though so but we get this little like dick likes to do this tells the story and ends it at a point and then gives us a little epilogue we have that here and it's back at the sap village so now we get the saps point of view the woman whose name is julie describes what she saw to ken her brother and she says it has two black eyes See, so we never had a description of the people the technos right? so we you know and actually if we think about it the description of shiny copper black skin is not that clear it's not necessarily totally alien yeah you you want to kind of think of it as the same kind of black shiny crisp irradiated surface that that, that the land's described as but maybe this is all just from the perspective of the technos maybe there's something else going on here and our first evidence for this comes when we get the description of of the technos and they basically are like blind mole rats like a human version of a blind mole rat so the description is it has Two black eyes, blind, white skin, huge hands and feet. Now we get a man named Mr. Stebbins, and he explains that these creatures, which he calls goblins, used to be men but were transformed into monsters by living underground, where they collect and hoard metal. Right, and we got all these cultural descriptions of goblins as as mountain-dwelling hoarders. Right, so there is this cultural mythological archetype of the, of the goblin as this kind of a hoarder who lives underground and grabs and, and stores all these things. So everything we've been kind of led to believe, if we're, we're forced at this point to go back and relook at the story with a new set of, of eyes. Okay, here's how they're described when he first sees it. And again, you're led to want to think that they've been irradiated by Warden. Maybe that's still the reading of it, but that's not quite where I'm at in my thinking on the story at this point. It says, a dozen people were washing at the edge of the stream, the children leaping into the water and scrambling up on the bank. Harl halted, gazing at them in astonishment. Their skins were dark, almost black, a shiny coppery black it was, a rich bronze mixed with a dirt color. Was it dirt? He suddenly realized that the bathers had been burned black by the constant sun. The hydrogen explosions had thinned the atmosphere, shearing off most of the layer of moisture clouds. And for the for 200 years, the sun had been beat mercilessly down on them, in contrast to his own race understand there was no ultraviolet light to burn the skin or raise the pigment level. He and the other technos had lost their skin color. There was no need for it in the subterranean world. But the bathers were incredibly dark, a rich reddish black color, and they had nothing on at all. They were leaping and jumping eagerly about splashing through the water and stunning themselves on the bank. Now, my reading of this now is that these are just normal humans kind of with a suntan. Or maybe they're, they're black. But... They're not burned as the way Harl sees it. It's just Harl seeing it from this perspective of, of someone who's never seen the sun, who fears the sun, who's blinded by the light, you know, and, you know, basically a, a kind of a vampire, right? So there does seem to be a war, it had to have been a war. So we're not just having a situation where this is actually our Neolithic and these people are just these goblins with these stories of, of the past. And this is the origin of the Goblin story. Now, maybe that's how we want to read it, but we do have evidence of a war. We have the slag being mentioned, the, all this land that's been... And we have a description of how these saps, or basically turned out just to be humans, you know, chipped away at the slag and finally got back at the dirt and were able to reclaim the earth. So it does seem to be in the future, but there is kind of a cyclical nature to it that we come back to the, uh, the Neolithic and we're gonna to have to rebuild, right? And the technolo- technological class are the ones being left behind underground. Yeah, they can raid and and get do some slaving and bring people down once in a while, but essentially they are the dying, lost people. And the people actually reclaiming the earth are are the ones who stayed on the surface. So. Where am I at um, so yeah another look at post-humanism after war thematically it, it's it's kind of similar to a story Dick wrote called Planet for Transients which was published back I think in 1953 that's about human survivors fleeing earth after it was taken over by the posthumans. in this case it's the people who hid in the bunkers and the people on the surface diverge for for two reasons one is that they're already divided Now, in Planet for Transients, it seems that there was the people who kind of hid in bunkers and the people who just kind of got abandoned on the surface. And the people who were on the surface became something new. Here, it's it's that they were already divided by technology. You had those people who controlled technology and used it. There's even a line somewhere in the story where he says, like, we've provided all the technology for hundreds of years to these people. So they were already seeing themselves as superior thanks to their technology. And... That's why they are able to escape to below the surface during the war. The people on the surface became quote-unquote golden-skinned or dark copper-colored skin, whatever, while the technos underground turned into these mole men who seem to fit the profile of goblins. They have their tendency to attack communities on the surface. If you play any Dungeons and Dragons or if you read Tolkien, you, you know this image of the goblin, right? You attack, you raid communities. You don't actually have very clear war goals except hoarding. Hoarding metal, hoarding food, whatever The two sides come to see each other as animals The goblins look at the saps as labor to be enslaved Much as we use animals And the saps see these mole people as goblins As monsters And it's actually sort of how they should be described Now, I I said this is very much like H.G. Wells' The Time Machine um, In that you have the kind of this divergent evolution Now, I'm not quite fully you know, we don't have morlocks we, we in a sense we do have the eloi on kind of underground physically weak kind of rooted in their more technolo- technological side um, but also decadent in their own way now the people at the surface do seem to suffer greatly by the war they lost the use of the surface they had to reclaim it bit by bit with primitive tools before they could even begin agriculture again now this is a Now, I do have a feeling that Dick read The Study of History by Toynbee, Arnold Toynbee. And I talked about this in my episode on the frontier and Dick's view of history. Now, Toynbee's big idea is that civilizations emerge out of this conquest and struggle with the nature and the environment. And that's sort of what you have here. It's like this new civilization on the surface is is facing the challenge of the war and by cutting away the slag we changing the slag into the tools they use to then be the foundation of their Neolithic revolution. This is their great achievement. And it's, Harl notices this, that they're very resilient. They're very culturally form- formidable. They're quite cooperative. They have all the tools they need to be a successful progressive civilization, at least kind of the, the ethos. What do you have below the surface? Well, they have technology, but they also can't work. That's why they need these slaves all the time. They're, they can just prey off of them so the goblins let's call them that the goblins are not that advanced socially and culturally and politically they're, they're they're more of a they're more backward that way it's actually the progressive civilization is that on the surface the one who's actually reclaiming the earth the goblins have all this advanced technology and what do they do with it they create this hierarchical system underground they depend on people from the surface for their basic labor needs they can't even do work anymore. Of the two post-human populations, the saps seem to us the most free. In fact, the way they're described is quite pleasant, right? They're, they're like having baths. They, they, yeah, they have to work hard, but they seem to have a more joyous life. Um, Harl is actually enamored by their freedom, their physical beauty, and their resilience. They, they don't seem to be a dying race at all. They're working hard, they were, where is it here? Yeah, so this is the quote from the story. They did not appear to be a dying race. They were working hard, tirelessly, chipping away at the hydro slag, fixing their arrows, hunting, plowing, pounding grain, weaving, and combing. End quote. The hope in this story comes from Harl's realization that the saps are humans. Now, he doesn't quite go so far as to say that. I'm I'm less than human, you know, because I'm not like that. Um, Harl does strike us a little bit as, as a bit of a creepy nerd here, kind of spying on these people um, bathing. Um, but he, you know, and he's not able to make the connection. He kind of falls. Gets, he's like sexually attracted to one of the SAP women, and he kind of creeps up to her, and it just scares them, right? It scares her, and that's how we get to this, the final scene of the story, where the SAPs talk about this weirdo, this weird, creepy mole guy who who was spying on him but there's not much hope for future development for the goblins but we have a we're left with a lot of hope for the future of the saps now unlike planet for transients where the posthumans and the humans live in this general peace and employed kind of a mutual curiosity about each other and Eventually, it's the humans decide we should leave because we can't live on this planet anyways, and we made it this way. We can't reclaim it, terraform it, because to do so would to make it make it unlivable for those who came after us. So we have to move on. But here we find two post-human populations. Now, how post-human are the surface dwellers? I think can be debated because we only see them only really through the eyes of of the goblins, and I think you know they don't have a clear view of what humanity is. You know, so maybe they're just normal folk, right? normal neolithic folk. And but they don't really see each other as human. That's the point. It's it's tragic, but it, it is more realistic. It's what we expect from Dick stories at this time about the post-human where it's, you really have this idea of branching into two different populations. Um, it's it's a, and again it's very much like H.G. Wells' Time Machine in that you see class as the original sin that caused the divergence. For Wells, it was like the working class versus the bourgeoisie, right? The Morlocks de- or descendants of like the coal mining working class, and the Eloi are the descendants of the you know the bourgeoisie who don't do any work. Here, it's those who have access to te- technology and control it and implement it, and those who don't. Now, given that the world we live in does have this sharp division between gated communities and slums, now, I'm not sure. I'm kind of with the cyberpunks in this idea that technology is liquid enough that it, it's, it can't be a permanent divider, right? I, especially nowadays with the computer revolution. Everyone, maybe not everyone, but most people have some access to to technologies and can often use them. And, and of course, the cyberpunk vision is... You're gonna have an unequal distribution of technology, you're sure, but microization and you're gonna have these kind of technical, tech-savvy subcultures that are gonna be able to use technology as hackers or, you know, or rebels to challenge uh, often much more decadent and decrepit and less flexible institutions. So I'm kind of with that. I'm not, I don't think technology itself will be the divider, but wealth certainly is. And place location is a is an increasingly big divider in our world, you know, but you know the gated community slums or even within mobility you have division between the so called kind of tourist and the vagabond those who move because they have to and those who move because they can, Um, but you know you I think you know you hear stories of cities in Latin America where the rich move by helicopter because they don't even want to go on the street level anymore. I think these kind of divisions would be interesting to play up and think what would that mean for our divergence as a species if we extend this thousands of years into the future dicks thinking about technology wells was thinking about kind of labor and idleness but i, I think we might be able to find different ways we divide society but certainly we have division in our societies uh, based primarily on wealth so um that's that for surface. Right, I've I probably said more than I need to about this story. It's 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 a nice one. It, it's I think there's a lot to like about this story. I think it's it's quite sharp. It has a really nice twist, and it gives us a lot to think about, especially when we want to ponder what to make of these people on the surface. Right? Are you know we we may not sympathize with the goblins early on in the story because they are uh, like seeming slavers, but we are expecting to see. Kind of a degraded humanity on the surface and the realization we come to by the end is that they are a progressive cooperative society and it's quite it's quite attractive and the people on the you know below the surface are the really beyond the fact that they're slavers but just odious in, in almost every way and physically disgusting well um I guess that does it uh, thank you so much for listening uh, if you've read this story and you have any opinions or thoughts please leave them below I would, I'll try to respond to your your opinions you can also write me at hundred pages at gmail.com so that'll be it thanks again for listening and I'll be back shortly with another story by by Philip dick Come and possess my tired thoughts, that live